This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the program, we welcome back Dr. Kathy Shropshire. As a mainstay in the Mississippi wildlife community, she's seen a lot of what Mississippi outdoors has to offer. Today we'll talk about one of the more hidden mammals of our state, the shrew. Easily confused with a mole, Mississippi is home to several types of shrews. But have you ever seen one? You can join our conversation with a phone call, and Dr. Major's here ready to help you with your pet questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you, if you miss part of or all of Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, Libby, last week, uh, Nature Fest at the museum, one of their big uh, events of the year. Uh, what other sort of events are coming up uh, that you can tell us about today? Well, um, field trips. Everybody has kind of a question mark by their field trips this weekend. So I would say if you're interested in going on any of the bird trips, really all around the state, there's some bad weather predicted possibly for Saturday. Mm-hmm. So um, watch those closely. But the Gulf Coast, Audubon, Jackson Audubon, I think, went ahead and canceled, canceled. the trip in Vicksburg at the park. So um, it, it, it might be bird watching through the window. <laughs> but then Sunday might be a great time to get out because the storms will have passed through. So. And I think the uh, other may be a little bit encouraging. From what I've seen, the, the severe weather looks like it's uh, Saturday afternoon into Saturday evening. So if you have an early morning thing that you want to do outside you might uh, get away with it and not get wet yeah yeah you you ended up not getting to take your pascagoula river trip, right right you? last friday was going Some to weather, uh, yeah. we canceled and then uh, my friend and i went to hattiesburg where it was cloudy but didn't you know rain at all and i thought well gosh we shouldn't have canceled but then my mother who was in uh, pensacola visiting my older brother she said it poured rain all day, so I have a feeling that it was wise to uh, cancel the trip. And then you as mentioned to me last week when we were talking about it, the the level of the river was probably increased uh, due to yeah. all the rain. So I think we made the right call. Yeah, we were on the Mississippi River Tuesday <laughs> um, up in Memphis and south, went down to Tunica. And, um, you know, the water's so high. It, it, it was interesting and fun to be on the river, but there's no sandbars to picnic on or any of that kind of thing. There's no getting off. And you really need to know what you're doing when you're on those rivers at flood stage. You don't need to be playing around. Mm-hmm. And we were with the Corps, so otherwise I don't think we would have been out there. I yeah. think the river's pretty much close to recreational boating yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, The Mississippi River, yeah. I talked to Bob Crosby this morning uh, trying to set up something with oh. for my grandson mm-hmm. as far as uh, going out, and he said it's still too high. Yeah. And he thinks probably... The 25th will probably be about the earliest if it goes as predicted, but that it's it's really hard to launch a boat right now uh, in most places. Yeah, yeah, we may be glad that we've got all this water later, but right yeah. now it's <laughs> it's on top of a lot of people that don't need it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know I, 
season ticket holder at the Mississippi Braves, the baseball t- uh, team here in town. And it's the same thing, you know, a lot of times in April, it can be quite chilly and we're there and everyone's kind of, oh, it's so cold. And that's like, I'm thinking to myself, when we're out here in the middle of July and it's 900 degrees, <laughs> yes. we'll remember how nice it was to have some cool weather. So uh, we have an email that someone sent in with a nice color picture mm-hmm. trying to identify a bird uh, that was on their porch. Uh, I think I've initially tried to get in, um, you know, banging on a window, but looks like it has uh, perched there on a hanging basket and they were kind of looking for an identification and uh, all the detective work paid off. Libby, what, what have you all come up well, with? I'm pretty sure it's a Cooper's Hawk. It's um, it's it dependent on the size of this hanging basket. A Cooper's Hawk is kind of a medium size. A sharp shin looks very similar to it, but is smaller. And um, what's particularly right about it being one of those, they hang around houses. They like to hang around bird feeders, and they do eat some of the birds that are eating at the bird. They eat those seed eaters. They're they're not able. They don't they don't live on. They're not made that way. I guess they're carnivores, <laughs> so they're hunters, and uh, they're looking for a bird meal. And um, I I don't hold it against them because that's how they live. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> but I don't like to see see too much of that i don't know they take dove out of my yard and i can handle that okay but uh i'm pretty sure that's what it is it's a a cooper's hawk that's been hunting in that yard and it took a rest or either it's kind of hiding watching what's going on in their um hanging basket plant but it's probably it probably is not nesting in that hanging basket. No, okay. no, uh-uh. it's going to get up into a bigger tree. It would not do that. No, uh, now you might get a, a Carolina wren would love to nest in the basket. Maybe he's after the wren. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Java, our producer Java Chapman found some interesting thing that if uh, you think a bird might be nesting in your house or near your area, a couple of ways to find out. One is that says destructive behavior. Birds don't vigorously tear up mouthfuls of grass pluck out their own feathers, pull threads out of outdoor rugs, or peel the screens off windows for no good reason. It's a clue that they're gathering nest materials. Uh, Fixation on a spot with no food. They often fly directly to a feeder, but if a bird seems fixated on a particular spot, either flying near or casting glances at it, it's a good chance it's checking it out to be a potential nest. And if you're outside and something sounds different, pay attention. If you hear something that doesn't fit the ordinary soundscape, close your eyes and follow the sound, and you might find a nest. Yes. And um, now, in June, that's kind of the ultimate test to me. If a bird's in your yard in June, mm. they've got a nest somewhere because that's, you know, that's kind of the height of nesting for most birds. If it's a, an owl, that's not true. But with most of your um, feeder birds, if they're hanging around in June, you start watching them, particularly hummingbirds. That's what I like to watch them leave the feeder and they may perch a few times, but the females particularly, they're going to go back to a nest before too long. All right. And then uh, my question for the the crew this morning was, uh, there is some sort of bird uh, that's outside my window that, and again, I don't know exactly what time. I get up at 6 o'clock. My alarm goes off at 6 o'clock every morning. And I'm guessing 3.30, 4 o'clock, somewhere in there. This bird, and I use the word chirp, but I'm not sure that's correct either. It's making some sort of noise, and I was wondering what it was, and and you all suggested possibly a mockingbird? Pay attention to how many times it repeats things. Okay. If it tends to repeat things, you know, maybe as much as four times even. Like it'll do one thing four times and then another sound four times. That's going to be a mockingbird for sure. It's interesting, too. You know, out in the dark, walking the dog or something like that, totally dark. 
you can hear birds, whether they're grumbling or waking up maybe, knowing it's about time for the sun to come up. They make some different sounds than they would during the during the day. Yeah. Some animals even have a, a it'll, they'll refer to it in the literature as their morning call. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I wish they would call somewhere else, but uh, because I was saying between that and, and the fact that my cat periodically decides that that's the time that we all want to get up and, and do something. Uh, and it might be, you know, he might be hearing the bird as well and, and being frustrated because he can't get out there. But uh, it's 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 no fun when you, you have a good night's rest and then for the last hour or so you're kind of tossing and turning because of all the distractions. And I, I apparently am a very light sleeper because, you know, uh, and and my other thing, I guess, and this is just me, but it's like you, you're sitting there, kind of half a week, half asleep, trying to go back to sleep, and for some reason, I can't stop concentrating on the bird. It's like just we'll just ignore the bird. I'm like, well, I'm having a hard time doing that. So, uh, and anyway, and like I said, the cat, uh, when the alarm finally goes off, he is just delighted because he runs up and runs, and then you know the other funny thing is I'm I'm trying to get out of bed, and he kind of jumps up on me, and I'm like, well, we can't get to the food bowl if you're sitting on me, so. <laughs> But anyway, that's, you know, that's the life of a cat owner. Um, Dr. Major, any uh, interesting things going on at the clinic? Any things uh, maybe this time of year that people need to think about in terms of their pet's health? You know, it, it's, it's kind of a, what shall I say, smorgasbord of things going on. Uh, any given day at the clinic, there may be anything from uh, guinea pigs, pregnant guinea pig, uh-huh. to... Uh, hedgehogs to, uh, you know, just run-of-the-mill exotic pets. But then we see a lot of uh, basic things that you would see now. We're starting to see parvo, which is not a good deal. That's a highly contagious virus that uh, affects puppies. And uh, we're starting to see a fair amount of that, which is it's, can be fatal, certainly. Uh, other than that, routine uh, flea control, heartworm control, uh, that sort of thing. So nothing spectacular. Uh, poor little hedgehog had a, a tumor in its mouth, and uh, really, it was three and a half years old. I think the average lifespan is probably about three and a half to four and a half. But it's a sweet little little hedgehog, and it was it was a very good pet. But uh, you know, those things happen, and uh, we do see a wide variety of of things at the clinic. All right, uh, we need to take our first break. When we get back, we'll begin our discussion with our guest today, Kathy Shropshire. We're talking about the mole-like mammal, the shrew. Yes, they are wild. There will be no taming of the shrew today. Uh, But you can call in with your questions. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464 or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, Dr. Kathy Shropshire. We're going to be talking throughout the day about shrews, uh, the shrews we find here in Mississippi, but also Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions. Join the conversation with your phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. 
you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Kathy, always good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming in again today. Thank you. It's always been fun to be here. And as we mentioned, you've been a big part of the Mississippi outdoor community for a long time from the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks for 26 years, and then from 2001 to 2012 as the executive director of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation. You now do the one-woman show, uh, Fanny Cook, uh, what else you got going on these days? <laughs> and actually, I'm I'm back working part time at the at the Wildlife Federation for a few months. So yeah, it's been kind of kind of fun to get back and I said you know to see people I haven't seen in a while because I've been out of the that system. So that's been fun and getting ready for the extravaganza in August is the main thing coming up there. Um, and uh, volunteering at the Clinton Community Nature Center. So, so yeah, just staying involved. Now, Fanny Cook is making a couple of appearances. Fanny is making yes. some appearances. Uh, is it um, April 23rd in Natchez, the Natchez Historical Society? Um, and that is open to the public. It's at the uh, Visitor Center there in Natchez. Very nice facility. Nice little auditorium there. So anybody in the Natchez area? Yeah, it starts about six thirty, yeah. and it is that. That's a Tuesday, the twenty third, the day after Earth Day. Okay. Yeah. Well, she would like that. Mm-hmm. She'll be excited. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, and then um, the DAR, uh, she's going to be visiting with the DAR uh, women on April 26th. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. I was thinking that was the next month, but yeah, yeah. it's the next. Yeah. yeah. So she said, those are the, the two um, nearest things we have on, on the record. All right, we're, we're talking about the shrew, the animal, but um, the uh, due to superstitions associated with the mammal in the 13th century, uh, the word shrew was des- became to, to describe a spiteful person, male or female, and then later uh, used to describe a nagging, ill-tempered woman, as in William Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. So uh, interesting. I was just you know curious as to see how one got associated with the other, but uh, superstitions back in the day caused the association. But, uh, Kathy, what is the mammal, the shrew? Well, it's a small, basically, a, almost an insectivore is what it's called. It's a very small um, mammal. They are they are mammals there, but you don't see them much in Mississippi, and that's why we kind of wanted to talk about them today because it's one of those animals that's out there. People, you know, they know about bears, they know about deer, they know about all these things they see, but there's a lot of little critters out there that people n- may never see. And sometimes the only way they see them is when their cat brings them to the back door or, you know, they have the opportunity to see some um, owl pellets and see the skulls in them. So you may go your whole life and and never see a a shrew. Uh, What about size-wise and maybe color and appearance, other kind of things? that Um, The the smallest one's about two inches, and one's referred to as a bumblebee. True, that it's very small. Um, the largest was maybe gets up to six inches. That's probably an exaggeration. They're basically a um, the um, short tail shrew is is pretty gray all over. The other two have some more more brownish color, but they're a, a kind of a bland color. They don't have any guard hairs, so all the hair is that. That fur that's coming out of my dog right now, <laughs> all that, that undergrowth. That's the, that's the hair. They don't have that um, the scarred hairs and very soft. soft. Yeah, and uh, so it makes because they're they're crawling around in in um, under the leaf litter and also in um, um, tunnels and so forth. So it just makes movement within there a lot easier. 
And you mentioned the the short-tailed shrew, but we have uh, two other species in Mississippi. So tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, the um, eastern shrew, and then um, well, you, you know, it's hard to know with. I'm not too good with um, uh, common names, but the lee shrew, and then the southeastern shrew, and then the short-tailed shrew are the ones that that we have here in in Mississippi. And are there big differences among the three? Um, well, the, the blarina, and that's the short tail shrew, is the is the larger one. It has a very short tail, and um, they they don't have the big front feet that a, a mole has. Moles are are bigger in size, um, and the shrews are are very very small. You know, the the short tail shrew is the biggest. It it may be six inches at, at most. Um, and they don't have very big ears at all. Most of them don't really go over the the length of the hair, maybe just a little bit. Their eyes, they do have eyes, um, but they're, they don't use them much to get around because they're mostly in the dark. So they're using other senses. You know, people confuse them with a mouse, but it's only because they're small. Because if right. you look at all, you know, a mouse has got big eyes and big ears. Mm-hmm. And uh, long tail and shrews are just the opposite. Yeah, really. and I, I can't think of a other. I can't think of a mouse that really looks like them. Mm-hmm. You know, the the no. native mice, mice that we have are just no. just not. If you really look like at it, it, they don't look anything like a mouse. Yeah, right. little nose. Uh, you know. and, of course, and of course, if you you know if you really look at them and look at their teeth, their teeth are different. They don't have the incisors like mice have. Their their teeth structure and the, the tips of their teeth are, are tinted red. Hmm. It's an iron component in there that their teeth are pretty. So if you see something like that in an owl palate, you know right away it's a shrew. And they don't have any zygomatic arches. Those arches that are like under the eye, they don't have that. So if you find a skull that, that doesn't have a, one of those arches, you're pretty sure you got a it, – it's not broken <laughs> off. It's, it's a shrew. We're visiting today with Kathy Shropshire, and she's helping us learn more about shrews that are located in Mississippi. If you have a question about that, or if you have a brush with wildlife you'd like to report to us, or a pet question for Dr. Major, you can give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So we're calling them mole-like because I guess they resemble moles a little bit. Do they have that same kind of destructive behavior of tunneling? Destructive? No. (laughs) (laughs) They do tunnel, uh, but it's usually um, not on top of the ground like you would see a mole. Uh, And they're going to be much smaller because these are tiny, tiny little animals. And if you've got a lot of leaf litter, they're going to be just kind of right under that leaf litter. And And that's sometimes you might see a shrew that way if you're raking the leaves that have been out there for a while, and you rake and something jumps out, very likely that's going to be a, a shrew or something. But you can see their little little tunnel areas that might not have a top to the tunnel because the, the leaf litter has been the top to their tunnel. But they don't have those larger um, runs that, that moles do that you can see on top of the ground. And, you know, that kind of brings to mind, then we've talked about voles in mm-hmm. association yeah. with moles. That seems to me... Uh, an easier thing to confuse them with. Right. We talk about the difference yeah, between I, the bowl. Yeah, and the bowl is, is more reddish brown in color, and it would be only the size would be more closely to, related to the short tails, true. But again, they've you know, got they're a different color and they've got ears and their teeth are different. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you mentioned insects are their primary diet. Insects, um, larvae, um, uh, 
they'll eat, you know, anything that they come across. <laughs> They're very voracious eaters. So if they ran across um, anything that's um, meat-wise, they would eat. They do eat some uh, vegetation. One of the things I, I was reading about is they uh, they can get a lizard, even if they just get the tail and the tail breaks off the lizard, they've still got a meal because they've got the tail to eat. And the lizard gets away and so it works really well. And one, it like seems to like to get into beehives hmm. and eat the larvae out of beehives. And actually, So I'd love to have some beekeeper at, tell me if they've ever seen that happen in their, in their beehives, but that's I've uh, read that in a couple of places. Uh, we've they have got a real high okay. metabolism, which is so. It, there are a lot of reasons why they have that uh, reputation of being ill-tempered. I think they've got uh, their their lifestyle. Right, and they, they can very, eat their it own. Doesn't look very fun. They yeah. can eat their own body weight, and if they could, you know, eat their own body weight in the day. So they've got a high metabolism, and sometimes in the winter, they said they they will go into a sort of a torpor and lose some of that weight because there's there's less to eat. All right, we have got a couple of phone calls to get to, so we will start in uh, Tupelo. Terry is on the line. Good morning, Terry. You're on the air with us. Love the show, guys. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I've lived with a shrew all my life. That's my, <laughs> that's my sister. So. Is this my brother calling? No. Now, she may have good reasons for that, too, just like the little animal. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Is Are, are shrews... Is there areas of the state where there's more of them or less of them, or is it just pretty much spread out across the state? It, pretty much spread out across the state. Um, the Lee Shrew seems to like drier type areas um, than the other two species. They, they they like those damper, hard hardwood, just moister areas, and they will um, um, – Make their homes under um, rotting logs and that sort of things, and the and the leaf shrew seems to like more field type places. But throughout the state, any place that but I would think you've had it's a very high water table is not going to be conducive to to having shrews. But but yeah, spread across the state. All right, Terry. Thank you very much, and, yeah. I, and I'm going to tell my sister y'all had an hour program. <laughs> oh, you're going to start something. Uh, no wonder. No wonder. All right, uh, Terry. Thanks for the call. You know, the thing is, I feel sorry to be named the least of something doesn't seem to be very complimentary. So it's I'm, just the smallest. Okay, okay. It's the smallest. <laughs> well, it's really not the smallest. It's the next smallest, but because of its small size, not because it's least. Because all right, well, that's, they're all important. They all have a place in the I, environment. I feel better about that than that. I had not thought of that definition of the word, and that makes so that makes me feel better. Let's uh, get one more call in before our first break. Uh, David's traveling through Tennessee and has a question for Doctor Major. David, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Morning. Uh, I, have, I have a curiosity question. I have a, a veterinarian friend that years ago someone brought in a mouse that they had caught in a trap, and uh, he wasn't dead, and they brought him in. They felt sorry for him and brought him into the veterinarian. Uh, I asked him what he did, and he said, well, when they left, I threw it out the back door. <laughs> but I was just curious if, if Dr. Major had ever experienced anything like that, if somebody had brought in a possum that had been run over in front of their house or any such thing. Absolutely. We we do see uh, opossums, and unfortunately, a lot of times with a road injury uh, with an opossum, they may have babies uh, attached, and of course, they uh, attach, and quite often they're hairless in the little pouch. Uh, but yes, we do see, I guess I've seen just about everything over the years, uh, everything from snakes to, that have been hurt to uh, 
to um, mice, yes. But some people have mice as pets. Usually it's the white mice. And uh, my son had one that lived quite a long time and eventually uh, developed cataracts and went blind. But uh, I think he lived about three years, which is pretty long, pretty long span. But, uh, yes, uh, there are anything can happen at a vet clinic, okay? <laughs> All right. uh, I'm just curious. Thank you very much. All right. You're Thanks, David, for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, before our first break, uh, Kathy, do shrews make good pets? Have you ever known anyone that had a sh- pet shrew? Well, I haven't known them, <laughs> but, but I have read that Theodore Roosevelt uh-huh. kept a shrew for a while. Now, you know, he's a big game hunter, but he was interested in everything that was going on out there. And he did keep a shrew for a while. And he was mostly interested in the way that it would capture prey and that sort of thing. So he put a mouse in there with the shrew and and the shrew eventually wore the mouse down but they keep but we we can talk about some of that later too right. <laughs> there's some interesting things about that too uh dr major have you ever seen a shrew in your clinic i have seen a shrew but not in the clinic okay <laughs> all right uh, time for our first break this hour uh when we get back we'll continue talking with our guest kathy shropshire about the different shrews found in mississippi if you have any recent shrew encounters please give us a call we'd love to hear from you also, Dr. Major is here ready for your pet questions. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more in just a few minutes, so stay tuned. MPB would like to thank Daniel, Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter, too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is Kathy Shropshire, and we're talking about the shrew, the small mammal that's found uh, throughout Mississippi, three species of shrews in Mississippi. By the way, if you ever miss today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app, or you can download the MPB Public Media app app. Either way, uh, you can get all of MPB Think Radio programs and you can listen to them on your schedule. The number to call if you'd like to join our conversation this morning, and we do have some open phone lines, it's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. During the break, Dr. Major, you mentioned uh, something that you wanted to bring up. I think uh, spring is the time of year when a lot of uh, people change out the antifreeze in their car, you know, in, in anticipation of the hot summer ahead. And again, that's something that you need to be concerned about and think about uh, when we, we talk about our pets. You know, antifreeze poisoning is a year-round possibility, uh, either from a leaky radiator or somebody replenishing it. Please don't leave a container of antifreeze out. Uh, there are types of antifreeze that are not attractive to pets, uh, but I would say that uh, one of the real problems is that when an, a dog usually or a cat ingests antifreeze, by the time you start to see symptoms, it may be too late. And uh, if you see your pet uh, drinking antifreeze, for example, uh, it's very important to have treatment within the first two to four hours. It makes a lot of difference. What antifreeze does, basically, it shuts the kidneys down, 
and uh, renal function ceases to exist really at some point after that. Usually by the time they start vomiting and acting really sick, it may be too late. And again, I guess it's the fact that antifreeze has kind of a, a, a sweet taste or smell to it? it apparently, it's, it's not unattractive, let's put it that way. And uh, I, I guess people that have been poisoned by antifreeze purposefully, I watch too much of the uh, forensic files. <laughs> people that have been poisoned, poisoned with antifreeze uh, probably uh, didn't realize that they were drinking it, mixing it in with orange juice or something like that, or put it in their oatmeal. I mean, you just don't really taste it. That's not trying to educate anybody to do that, <laughs> but um, it, it 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 is. They, apparently, uh, people have studied this enough to say that it is attractive to pets if it's out in a container. Uh, Doctor Major, you and I have the same taste in, in television because as we were talking about that, that was the exact same thing that I was thinking about. Right. <laughs> so uh, we're visiting today with Kathy Shropshire. We're talking about uh, the shrew. Uh, so Kathy. Um, who are the the predators of a shrew? Owls mostly, but snakes, foxes, anything that's going to be rooting around in the ground like that, looking for um, something to eat. Um, back to to what they eat, and I, what I wanted to be sure and te- say is um, that when shrews are hunting, one of, one of the tactics they seem to use is to go for the legs, you know, and and mm. and um, either break the bones or you know. Her, hamstring them so so to speak so that they can't move but the other thing that especially the short tail shrew is they have a, a poisonous bite mm-hmm. and that will affect the the animal and it can be poisonous to people and it's not, probably not going to kill you but um there is you know, a couple of references where people allowed that to happen to them and let's see what happens you know watch this but um it, very painful apparently especially localized and um so, you know, that works real well for a little, a little guy when he's attacking a much larger prey item to have that um, poisonous bite. Yeah, and this, as an aside, I've seen there is some guy on the Internet that does that where he purposely gets bit <laughs> and stung by different things. And I think one time there was a scorpion or something in Arizona, and he let it in. Of course, he went crazy. He said, ah. And so I don't, I don't know. That, yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think they thought this was scientific. And very, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they were taking notes the whole time, so I guess it, they were doing it under some sort of <laughs> watchful eye. <laughs> so um, we've talked about how small shrews are. So the, the shrew and then the other smaller mammals, what are some of the things that they do to prevent predators from finding them and, and eating them well they they have their you know they burrow under the ground so if they're not right on top of the the ground um it, you know you can get away from some of those those and then they're small so you know larger snakes may not be able to get into those smaller tunnels and that sort of thing and then the and the poisonous bite and that sort of thing helps um but they're active day and night, so they're out a lot. And, you know, owls are probably one of the biggest things, which kind of amazes me. It's like, how does the owl find those <laughs> little critters? Eyesight. You know, it's how yeah. do they do that when they're mostly not on top of the ground anyway? So they, their eyesight and hearing, but the you certainly those see. those little things come out, mm-hmm. And they will, they do make noises. So well. the, the, the owls, uh, the, um, excuse me, the shrews do make either like clicking noises or even... Um, more of a, a screech kind of noise that they can make, and they think that the um, that they use echolocation not so much to find prey items, but just to let them know what's going on in their environment. 
within their little area. So they do make some sort of clicking noises that are similar to the way a bat would use those clicking noises. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join our conversation with a question or a comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So we're talking about shrews and the little bit mysterious or hidden uh, creatures in Mississippi. So if you've ever encountered one, we'd certainly like to hear uh, that story. So give us a call and, and join in on the conversation. So Kathy, earlier you mentioned that they do have eyes, but I guess because they spend some time um, underground or no, covered, um, do they have good eyesight? Not, not particularly good eyesight. No, they're dependent on their their sense of smell mostly. Mm-hmm. But and then they because they're you know their ears, they have ears, but they're they don't have the outer part where they can kind of direct that hearing. So they're not using that a lot either. Um, but you were saying that uh, asking about their protection, but some of them are, um, you know, there'll be m- several in uh, the same nest. So if you had a bunch of shrews <laughs> being attacked by something, that would be really frightening for anything that's trying to, to get a, a, you know, a snake or a, anything that's like trying to get... Yeah. Yeah. Nasty little fighters. Nasty little huh? fighters. <laughs> you gang up on something, they, they might keep them from uh, getting a, all of them anyway. With a, a poisonous bite. With a poisonous bite. I guess if you were a fox and you had gotten into a little nest of shrews in the past you might not you might pass right it's by it's kind of like those frogs time. that have the yeah. you know cat dogs and cats learn not to grab those mm-hmm. those frogs because of that um and so you know earlier we talked about um they maybe do make tunnel but they're so small they're not nearly as bad or as big or as noticeable as uh, mole tunnels would you consider the shrew a nuisance animal I don't. <laughs> but there's a lot of things I don't consider a nuisance animal. But we really don't have a yard to keep up, so they don't bother us. But, uh, you know, they're they're eating a lot of insects. There's, mm-hmm. there's a reason they're out there in the environment. They're eating a lot of insects, and they're providing food for some of the, the, the critters that we do enjoy seeing, the owls and so forth. So they do have a place. Um, and I don't... Uh, when I was doing some research and, and looking, one of the first things that came up was have a heart. Those are the trap people talking about trapping shrews, and I was really wondering why you would want to do that. I mean, I, I do understand people's concern with moles um, and, and when they're trying to have a nice yard, and I do understand it, but I couldn't quite figure out the shrew thing. Maybe somebody will call and tell me why. It seems like a shrew would be beneficial for all uh-huh. that because they eat larvae that can hurt your Grubs garden. Grubs and things. And they eat, thing, they eat insects that eat your plant roots. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not, there's probably, I hate to say this, but they, their metabolism is so high and they need food and water so often that if, you, if you're trapping them in a have a heart, they're probably going to die in there. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah, so, I didn't, didn't yeah. really open it and try to see what what they were, you know, what were they were promoting as far as that. Because they but, can't um, go long at all no, without they, food, and especially right. if they get nervous and upset. Mm-hmm. You can what I don't know. I remember mm-hmm. talking to people that would that would trap them for mm-hmm. things, and they said they'll they'll just die in your hand. They get so upset. Well, mm-hmm. and people, one of the ways that you do trap um, shrews is with a, what's called a pit trap. Uh, pitfall trap where you dig a hole and put a, a can or a, some kind of container level with the um, ground and shrews running you know along the 
and maybe the edge of a fence or something, and they will fall in there. Well, most of the time they're going to be dead by the time you find them. And I would think that just my experience, limited as it is with uh, those uh, tra- the have a heart, uh, these are such small creatures. It would be difficult to find a trap small enough for to hold them. I would think. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, it's probably I, like I said. I didn't really investigate that because I really I never considered them a nuisance. But maybe they are in, in some places. Well, they're so small, <laughs> you wouldn't think they'd trip the typical have a heart trap. Yeah. We may have to do some investigation <laughs> on that. <laughs> Libby's looking for it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a book that I read years ago that had a great chapter about them. Is it King Solomon's Ring? You remember that? I, I read yeah, it yeah. as a kid, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines, so if you're listening and want to join our conversation this morning, please give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, so, Kathy, are they a social animal? Do they often travel in groups, or would you find them sort of more solitary? Uh, they can be in groups. Yeah, they said they can be up to, you know, 20 in a, in a group. And and the in, in some species, the male and the female both take responsibility for feeding the young, the female more. But, um, but so they can be sort of somewhat of a family and then also in a in a group as well, and um, but we were talking about the um, difference between sh- shrews and, and moles, and it's very obvious. You know, with a the mole, they have those huge front feet that are rotated out that allows them to to dig those very large holes and very. Um, so you know, you sh- you sh- and they don't have eyes that are open to the to the outside. So um, and they, but they're gray. So I mean, that could be you know a little bit confusing. But just look for those. Huge or huge front feet, and you know that's a mole. And uh, with the shrew, and I don't know den, obviously not nest, but what is what is the shrew's home? Where do they hang out? Yeah, they, yeah they'll, they'll pull in some um, grasses or whatever, and make a make a nest, <laughs> kind of a thing, or right or in a, a log, a log that's a rotting log. Pull in, that's a, a good place to find some. Um, one of the references I said some of the first that were discovered in Mississippi were in Homochitta National Forest in some logs down there. So, all right. Uh, before our next break, here is an email. It says our rescue dog has a strong odor. She's obviously part hound dog of some sort. Initially thought her odor was caused by the food used at the animal shelter, but a change in diet didn't diminish the smell. Bathing her will mask the smell for five to seven days. Is there any supplement or bath product that might help with this problem? Well, first of all, she's a hound, and they do have more odor in most cases than the typical uh, house dog, small dog. Uh, I would check the ears, obviously. Teeth uh, could be an issue, causing some odor. And then the anal sacs, we've mentioned those before. Anal sacs on either side of the rectum uh, certainly could cause some odor. Uh, as far as anything food-wise to change, I don't know that that would help at all. So check those things, teeth, ears, uh, make sure there are no skin lesions or anything like that, and also the anal sacs. All right, uh, let's take one for final break this hour. When we get back, we'll wrap things up with our guest today, Kathy Shropshire. We're talking about shrews found in Mississippi. And Dr. Major is here, ready to take some pet questions. So still time for you to call in. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Back to wrap up the show after this, so stay tuned. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest for the hour is Kathy Shropshire. We're talking about shrews found in Mississippi. We're still time for you to wrap uh, for to call in a question if you have one, or a pet question for Dr. Major, or if you've had an encounter with a shrew or other wildlife. We always like to hear those stories as well. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Kathy, we're talking about what we called kind of one of the hidden mammals of Mississippi due to kind of its size and that sort of thing. Are there some other small mammals around the state that uh, might go unnoticed by most people? Well, I, I think most of the mice that we have in Mississippi, are, m- most people don't don't realize, I don't, what is it, 15, 16 species? I mean, it's amazing how many mice we have out there, and people don't, you know, white-footed mice. And we were talking about voles and, and cotton rats and all these different species out there that all have their little niche that they're responsible for taking care of, I guess. So, yeah, there's I think there's a lot of things that people um, don't really notice yeah. There could be even even in you know in a yard in in a suburb or downtown for that matter that there's a lot of little wildlife out there that people aren't aware of. All right, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, curious. I, I I've emailed or uh, googled shrews and I'm looking at uh, eleven interesting facts about shrews and I think the first one it <laughs> talked about is something that we talked about is how hyper it is and it says. Uh, the Etruscan shrew, the smallest terrestrial mammal on Earth, has a heart rate that can reach 1,500 beats per minute more than any other mammal and even more than the hummingbird. Also, they recorded making 12 body movements per second. So that uh, these really are kind of high energy. Uh, Constant motion. Yep. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. little nervous, energetic. <laughs> You know, they they can have a couple of litters a, a, a year, so they're out there constantly, you know, creating new life and taking care of their uh, their young so they they need a lot of a lot of energy need a lot yeah, to you eat. can see why they have a, a bad disposition. <laughs> they're in a hurry to get another. What do they say? Hangry? They're hangry yeah. all the time. Hangry. <laughs> I understand that. Yes, they are hangry constantly. All right. Uh, we've got another phone call. Uh, Jamie's on the line from Kosciuszko. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hello. Thank you. I appreciate your program. Um, uh, uh, many, maybe eight years ago, we had a lot of worms that were coming in the house. They were about one inch. They were thin. They're just annoying. Then all of a sudden, the the the, the appears something in the in the lawn that would leave a hump just above, just below the surface. I think it was maybe a mole or something. And so for all the years that that mole was here, all the worms disappeared. It must have been eating them. So now the mo- the mole is gone, or whatever that mm-hmm. creature was underneath the grass, right underneath the grass, you could see it sometimes tunneling through. Now the worms are coming back. So should I go out and get a mole and <laughs> buy it and put it in there? I don't think I you mean, can do if that. If you do, you'll be the first person to do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I don't know if you can do that. But thank you for, for um, liking your mole. And, and if it's, you know, if you're not spraying um, poisons or something, if it's a good little habitat, it'll 
maybe it's back there. You know, <laughs> if it's just food, something's going to come take care of it, probably. So I would go to a pet store and buy them all? No, no they, you they, can't Actually, do that. it's not legal for them to sell you one, even, because it's native wildlife and I guess we don't want to get those things and, and started. I'm not sure. It could have been a vole as well. That's a rodent. Mm-hmm. It could have been a vole or it could have been a shrew because they uh, could uh, make. I, I, because now I'd rather have that little creature than mm. the, all of the worms. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. all right, I'll just do Sorry. some research and maybe put out their best caviar and Hopefully, I yes. Right, yeah. right. Luckily, yeah. yeah. She points out just what you were mentioning too, Kathy. There's, there's, there's life. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, a world for every little animal mm-hmm. out there, and we interface with them. And depending on how we interface with them, we decide whether we like them or not. And it's really not so much about whether we like them or mm-hmm. not. It's about they're, they're just trying to live their life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, another next call we have is our buddy Timothy calling in from Louisiana. Good morning, Timothy. Good morning. I just wanted to share my morning experience with y'all. All righty. I was walking from my house to my barn, and I noticed there was tree frogs and leopard frogs and a toad of some type moving about, and I thought to myself, you know, snakes are going to be out. So I go to my shop and open and unlock it, and... The, the sliding door doesn't slide worth a bang. There's like something blocking it up at the top. And I finally get it open, and a three-foot-long water moccasin drops down. Oh, goodness. You know, right at my feet. <laughs> Did you it get the door open wounded. fast enough to get him out? <laughs> it was mortally wounded by the wheels that had rolled across uh-huh. it, but... Mm-hmm. It was dang surprising, I tell you what. <laughs> it thought it found a, a place that was a good place to hide, I guess, and lay out, and um, turned out not to be a good place for him or you, did it? I'm glad nobody was um, harmed, All but I'm right. sorry the snake didn't make it back. Open. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Timothy. Always good to hear from you. Exciting uh, morning. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a couple of minutes before the end of the show. And, uh, Kathy, we mentioned at the beginning of the show that you do the one-woman Fanny Cook show. Uh, But for folks who maybe not have heard the program before or missed out, remind us again who Fanny Cook is and and why she's so important. She is the woman who spearheaded the effort to get the Mississippi Game and Fish Commission established in 1932. She started in 1926, took her six years to gather the people and the support to get that done. And then she was hired as the first biologist with the department. And created the the first natural science museum in Jackson, and um, it's moved several times since 1940s when she created that first building built uh, facility, and um, is now the the natural science museum. It's changed names. It was the state wildlife museum when she first had it. Um, it's now the natural science museum, and we're just um, trying to get the word out about what an important woman she was in Mississippi history and in the natural sciences in in Mississippi. And there's there's a book out now, and um, so we just want people to know about her. And I think from a previous visit, you told us you kind of did it once as a as a thing, and then decided right, right. to. It was just it was it was supposed to be a one time thing. <laughs> Now, we, Libby and I and Marion Barnwell have been all over the state of Mississippi doing uh, doing the presentation and also promoting the book and uh, and it's it's been it's been really fun. It's you know we've met with a lot of different people. We met with students and um, adults and and people are all really fascinated by what she did at, at that time in in Mississippi history. 
she had started museums all over the state, and most of their colleges and community colleges have that connection with the past. And it, it, for a while, it seems like there would at least be one person at those schools that, that knew the history of it. But it's gotten to the point now where we'll tell a school about it, and they, nobody there even remembers that, that that had happened. Even though if then if they look, some of them may still have in their biology collections have her specimens, but they're not aware of it until we tell <laughs> them. So we decided it'd be a good thing to let people know about her. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners just like you. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and I guess Kathy Shropshire, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.